Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. great question weird just just absolutely strange how do you even do that i feel like that's gotta mean something hello spooky humans welcome back to the mommy's podcast i'm beth i'm holly i said that like i couldn't remember my name <laughs> i'm what who am i again i'm here <laughs> we've been recording for like two hours so we got you guys two episodes yay yay you're gonna be excited or i guess by now you're probably done being excited about that because you've already heard that episode yeah so oh maybe. yeah maybe maybe we're not sure what order these first. are gonna come out in. so yeah you may hear this they're like we don't know one. what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> fortunately for all of us i never know what i'm talking about yeah. welcome to the club okay what's new i have a story. i have a good story i haven't told beth yet i hold it in so my sister called me earlier to tell me a story about our grandmother okay who is hilarious and she's where we get all of our smart ass personality okay and uh sass she's quite hilarious so this weekend, they were in Kentucky visiting her, mm-hmm. and um, her husband, my sister's husband and son, take grandma mm-hmm. back to um, the nursing home assisted living facility that she's at. She recently moved into, and it's so awesome. Okay. Um, so they take her back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally like uh, not even a whole mile. Like, and So they take her back up there. But to get inside, you have to use like a card key okay. thing to get the doors to open. So um, my sister's husband goes to the door. Grandma's in the car with, their, with um, his son. I'm like trying not to say their name, so it's making the story a lot more complicated. <laughs> um, he stays in the car with grandma, and um, husband is opening the door. Mm-hmm. But the card key's like not working, so he tries and stops and keeps trying for a second, like, shit, what do I do? And there's like a doorbell, so he like rings the doorbell or whatever. And so what they think happened is grandma forgot that there was anyone else in the car with her, okay? Mm-hmm. Because he's in the back seat she's in the front seat and all of a sudden grandma just goes she goes is this idiot gonna stop trying to open the door or realize it's not working oh my gosh so he just starts laughing in the back seat and she turns around and is like oh hi (laughs) 
not was realizing it, was it the big it, one or the little one the big one okay i figured but yes the teenager who's just <laughs> busting up laughing and grandma's like oh fuck that makes it even better Hi. she literally called him an idiot i love it how many times is this idiot gonna try like what <laughs> what i would have been like when do you see grandma See that one more time? She'd be so fucking embarrassed. Oh my gosh. But Nikki was like, I can't wait. I can't wait to be old. I'm gonna fucking do that. Like, oh my god. So great. Oh my so gosh. great. Yeah, I can't wait to be old enough that people can't really say shit to you. Like, because people right now are like racist and people are like, we can't say anything. It's just fucking 90. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be racist, obviously, but I'm going to say some shit. Oh, my gosh. My papa, before he passed away, was literally, especially towards the end, so, I mean, his whole fucking life, he was racist. Yeah. We dealt with that our whole life. But literally, so much worse the last few months. I'm just like, sir. I know you've told some stories. That please stop. <laughs> so, he had Alzheimer's, which obviously, obviously makes all that stuff worse. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother also had Alzheimer's. She died when I was 16, so, you know, a long time ago. And um, she, I, I, one of the funniest to me stories... God, I don't know. There's a lot of them. They're all funny. But she hit my sister-in-law with her cane. She she was like, she was trying to cook her dinner. And my grandma was like, little girl, get away from that stove. And (laughs) hit her with her cane. And you're like, okay, I guess I just have to let her get away with it. Because she's old. What are you going to do? She's old. Oh, my God. Uh, That's my story. I don't know what else is going on, really. Um, (laughs) We're about to have a snow day. We're about to have a snow day. snow. Hopefully it snows enough so we can go sledding. Right, hopefully I wait until I leave here and drive home. <sighs> if not, I'll be right. I'm a good driver. Um, and other people... You can just live here. It sounds great. <laughs> I like that. I'll just, I'll call, just stay. call Raja and be like, I have to stay here because it's a snow day. And he's going to be like, the fuck, there's no snow on the ground. Get the fuck home. I can't. And there's snow out here or where she lives. Just Come not on. where we live yet. So we can watch the Umbrella Academy. That's <laughs> what we've been watching. Well, we've been trying to finish American Horror Story. Oh, it was so good. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about it. Someone else was saying in the other room. Yeah, you watched it, the whole thing? Yes, we watched the whole thing. Or only a couple more episodes left. I very much enjoyed it. But Cal Penn is in it, so they pretty much could have done anything they wanted to. I don't know who that is. That would be the Indian guy. Okay. His, uh, the captain. Okay. Oh, yes, of course. Kumar. You should have just said Kumar. Definitely didn't think of that. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to explain who was the Indian guy. I'm like trying to think, like, who? So uh, I worked with a guy a long time ago uh, at Office Max when Raj and I were dating. We've been together for like a year, maybe. My husband is Indian, for those of you who don't, I think I've mentioned that before, from in, well, he's not from India, but I mean, you know, from India, not what other people call Indian and is actually Native American. So, um, he, I said something about Cal Penn being hot, because uh, that's that's my other Indian man. And um, this fucking idiot that I worked with said, oh, you got a thing for Middle Eastern guys, huh? What? I just looked at him and I was like, well, um, India's in Asia. <sighs> so if by Middle Eastern you mean Asian, and if by liking guys like that you mean two then yeah i like middle eastern guys he's like what the fuck over and like turn around and walked away and i was like you dumb fuck people are idiots if you're gonna run your mouth make sure you know what you're fucking saying exactly at least uh, when you're talking to me i don't know if you say that to someone who's dumb then go ahead but i was just like okay and i you know i laughed about it later i left at your expense he was an idiot okay 
So, we finished up our most downloaded last week with Arizona. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that as we're recording this. It hasn't it comes out tomorrow, so uh, today we're bringing it back home to St. Louis. So if you follow us on TikTok and have seen my true crime questions, you haven't answered them, first of all. So go do that right now. Pause it. Go do that. Uh, and then, well, unless you're driving, then wait till you get to work and then pause it and then answer it before you go inside. Um, so this case was one of my personal answers on one of those questions. The question was, what is the case that got you interested in true crime? We received like two responses. So go answer that. Uh, Holly, what's yours? What's your case? Do you remember? Uh, oh, I just put you right the fuck on the spot, didn't I? Uh, I don't know. I don't... Probably... I don't know if I would say it's what got me interested because I feel like more that was uh, like people influenced like with yeah. you and Christina and Katie and everybody like, listen, listen, listen. But yeah. probably I'd say the one that I remember and the one that always fascinated me was JonBenet Ramsey. I just... It just... It, I can remember that from when I was younger and remember thinking about it and looking into it several times and mm-hmm. watching stuff about it. And uh, that one and what was the one um, in Bush Wildlife? The little girl. Angie Hausman. Yeah, that we'll one. We'll have to cover mm-hmm. that one probably at some point. Yeah. I, I remember that one because she and I are close in age. I don't know if we're the same age, but we're close in age. Yeah. I think. Um, so I'm going to tell you mine now. Uh, I will talk about my... I do have a connection to the case, and I will talk about that at the end because I don't want to give anything away if you're not familiar with the case. Holly knows a little bit. I've tried. It's really hard not to talk to her about these cases beforehand as I'm learning things and stuff. I want to call and tell her because she's my person, and then I'm like, oh, fuck, you can't talk to her about that. So I have to like... I don't know. I suck at it. I'm not very good and at it. And I ask a lot of questions sometimes, too, and then I'm like, oh, sorry. It's it's like me buying presents and then trying to wait and not say I got you something. Yeah. So... Um, I did look to see if anyone else had covered this case before I started, and I could not find a single podcast oh, that talked shit. about these murders. So unless you know it from living here, this is probably going to be a new case for a lot of people. And the people I have mentioned it to have mostly been unfamiliar. And I'm not 100% sure why people don't know this case, but I think it may have something to do with at least two other big news stories happening at that same time. So first off, in Missouri, 11-year-old Arlen Henderson went missing on July 25th of 1991. So I noticed articles about the search for Arlen as I researched this case, but even as something as important as the disappearance of a child was not the most shocking thing happening at that time. So Arlen's disappearance was in some of the papers, but it wasn't like dominating the headlines or anything. Now, second and far more well-known than Arlen's case is that on July 22nd, police officers in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, saw Tracy Edwards running down the street in handcuffs. When they spoke with him, he led them back to the apartment of a man who had been holding him against his will. This apartment would become one of the most horrific crime scenes in modern history and is currently making headlines again for the Netflix series that features the wildly talented and incredibly handsome Evan Peters, who was actually born in St. Louis and grew up in Baldwin, in the role of the attacker Jeffrey Dahmer. So Jeffrey Dahmer was caught the same week that these murders happened. Oh my gosh! That's everywhere. Right. Um, So I think that's probably why... Obviously, if you were in St. Louis, especially like St. Louis City, you were probably more familiar with this case. But otherwise, I think everyone was probably focused on the horrors that were coming out oh, of Oh, absolutely. Because this was the Dahmer's not your just run-of-the-mill serial right. killer. Um, so, before I go into it, these murders took place on National Hot Fudge Sunday Day. 
So we're doing this now. So we're doing okay, this. Okay, I'm fucking bringing it then. We're going to do it. I'm, I'm looking them up. I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot. I just looked that up like three minutes ago because I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot to get that holiday. Sounds like me with my joke. Fuck, my joke! My jokes! <laughs> Every time. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, Holly, are you ready to learn about the murders of the Futo family? I'm ready. All right, so a little bit of background. In 1956... Um, Imre Futo, who is generally referred to as Emery Sr., and that's what I'm going to call him throughout the episode, uh, emigrated to the United States from Hungary at the age of 19 during the Hungarian Uprising. He came to St. Louis, Missouri, and I think he, I think they said in the, the episode, there's only one episode on this case, I think they said he lived with his older cousin Nick's family. Um, and Nick was like 20-ish years older than him, I think. Um so Emory Sr. looked up to, I called him Nick there, Nicholas, as a father figure. So it was in St. Louis that Emory Sr. met Una Bailey in 1964. The couple were married only a few months later, and they quickly had three sons, uh, Emory Jr., Nick, and Joe. Now, their three boys, I, it, I got partway into the case, they're the same age as apart as my kids. Oh, okay. Maybe not month-wise, but years-wise. So um, Emory Jr. was about four when Nick was born, and Nick and Joe were only a year apart. The family lived in South St. Louis City near Tillis Park, if you guys know where that is. Uh, Emery Sr. was an oiler, and that was their their last home. Obviously, they lived other places before that, but uh, Emery Sr. was an oiler in the bottling department at Anheuser-Busch, and Una worked at Boatman's Bank. When the Fudo boys grew up, um, Emery Jr., he had been picked on in school. There was one story that floats around that I don't even want to fucking grace bite telling it on here because it's so clearly bullshit that kids made up about him Some okay. pretty awful shit um but he escaped by joining the navy uh, eventually moved to california while he was there he got a job with metal container corporation which is a subsidiary of anheuser-busch uh he married a woman named angela in 1985 they purchased a dream home and in 1990 they had a little boy uh, at some point youngest brother joe joined the army they kind of alluded to the fact that he was like taking inspiration from his older brother, you know, that kind of thing. Um, before becoming a student at Truman university, Nick worked at a grandpa pigeons warehouse uh, while trying to decide where he would go with the rest of his life. Both Joe and Nick still lived at home with their parents. And this is summertime. So Joe would be home <clears throat> on July 26th, 1991. So again, like four days after Jeffrey Dahmer's caught Unifudo didn't show up for work and didn't call in. Her co-workers were immediately concerned. Obviously, this was out of character for Yuna, and they called the Fudo's neighbor. The neighbor went over and knocked, but no one answered, though both Yuna and Emery Sr.'s cars were in the garage. Uh, the neighbor then called the police. Uh, officers drove past the house, but they didn't see any signs of forced entry or anything that concerned them, so they didn't go inside the house. And we know uh, from talking about the Watts case, obviously, they would have to wait anyway for permission without something that makes them think they need right. to go inside. Um, it said later in the day, I'm not sure how much later, but later in the day they returned with an unidentified relative and they entered the home. Think about that. Think about, oh my gosh, the police like being there and you needed them, right. but you just couldn't get to the door and they just look by and everything seems fine. They right. just leave and you're like, come back. Ugh, that's a horrible thought. <sighs> uh, you're welcome. I keep trying to put this lid back on this bottle of water. And I keep putting it on crooked and then going, what the fuck? And then I keep trying. It's just fucking crooked. Go on. Um, apparently I'm drunk. I haven't even had anything to drink but water. Oh, oh, I did have a Coke. I did have a Coke. 
Uh, anyway, um, so inside the home, the house was in disarray. There were pictures that had once hung on the walls, but had been like taken down and thrown or stepped on. So there's broken glass on the carpet. Uh, there's frames and pictures laying there as well. And there are pictures of it in the episode, which I will mention later and tell you what it's from. But, um, the nails were still in the wall from the pictures. I mean, it was very clear that something, kind of something uh, happened, a right, struggle or something. A struggle. Uh, and there was only one photo untouched, still hanging in its place. A picture of Emery Ju- Jr.'s son, which is strange. Okay. Um, I wish that was all that they found in the house. Uh, unfortunately, police also found 50-year-old Unifoto's body lying partially in the hallway and partially in a bedroom. There was blood splatter on the walls and the floor. Una had been beaten in the head with a sledgehammer or a mallet. They kind of said both. They even said a golf club at one point. I'm pretty sure it was a sledgehammer, but um, five times in the head. Oh, my gosh. The rage. Right. Uh, it, obviously, she sustained severe head trauma. And then... Uh, Oh, you know what? It said an extension cord, and that's what I have here. It was not. And the phone cord had been wrapped around her neck and used as a ligature. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mentioned the golf club thing that they say. Uh, That's all the newspapers, too, and I'm sure some of that's speculation or, you know, when they weren't sure what what was happening. Now, the police continue to search the home, and in the basement, they find the body of 53 year old Emery Sr. He has been stabbed and shot multiple times. I think they said he was was either stabbed four times and shot three or stabbed three and shot four. And there were no other bodies found in the home. So the immediate priority is finding the two Fudo sons that also live in the home, Nick and Joe. The only other clue found in the home was a bloody shoe print. At 6 p.m. that same day, groundskeepers at the New St. Marcus Cemetery find the body of 24-year-old Nick Fudo. Mm. Nick has been shot four times, twice in the chest and twice in the head. Jeez. Yeah. This is overdone. And he's in a cemetery, which is kind of random. Uh, In his pocket, they found a piece of paper that said America West 1408. Okay. Minutes later, the call comes in that Joe Fudo's red Mustang was found parked behind a vacuum cleaner shop on Watson Road. And it's, it's only two blocks from the family home. Okay. So I mean, this is all within a, a couple miles of each other. It's all very close. Um, the owner of the shop had noticed the car sitting there at 630 that morning and had left a note on the car asking the owner not to park there. Thankfully for him, he hadn't looked inside the car. In the back seat was the body of 23-year-old Joe Fudo. He had been shot three times and then covered with trash bags in an attempt to conceal his body. Uh, At least one of the shots was a defensive wound, as if he'd put up his arm to protect himself. And I believe they said at least one of the shots was in the head. Oh, my gosh. Um, Police immediately issued an all-points bulletin for Nick's new red 1990 Mitsubishi Eclipse that hadn't been found at any of the crime scenes. I spoke with my brother on the phone the other night about the case because he's, you know, in, involved in this. And um, it's a, probably a silly thing to mention, but it was just, it kind of marked the sadness for me of the case. He mentioned that Nick had just gotten that car. Aww. And it just was one of those things that just really touched my heart. So um, it, it takes the family 24 hours to get in touch with Emery Jr., who I mentioned lives in California. They were leaving him messages saying, call us when you get this, you know, call home. When he finally called back, he said he'd been camping with a friend. And if you're too young to remember the early 90s, we didn't have cell phones. like Right. So he couldn't get those messages until he got home. There was no way for him to call. Now, Emery's cousin, Betty, is the one to break the news, telling him, quote, your mom and dad and brothers are dead. 
Emery's response? Any guesses? What? He says, well, they don't think I did it, do they? What? Who responds like that? Right. I, this is, I'm glad that people are fucking stupid with right. the way that they plan things right. when you planned something and then right. you have no fucking clue. I'm glad for that, but you don't right. think you would have practiced. They're going to get in touch with you. It's your family. Right. You think you'd be ready. Like, okay, when they say something, this is my game face. Right. You would think, but you would be okay. <laughs> Thank, I mean, thankfully. You like right. that. That's thankfully, a good thing. But jeez. Uh, so Betty thinks it's strange that he says this because she never said they'd been murdered. Oh, my God. She just said they were dead. Uh, when police speak with Emery, he tells them he hasn't been to St. Louis in over a year, and he has an alibi for the time of the murders. He was camping with a friend. But once news of the murders makes its way to California, police get a phone call from Emery's camping buddy. He informs detectives that the camping story is not true. Instead, he took Emery to the airport to catch a flight to St. Louis. Oh, you're fucked. You're fucked. Uh, Did he get, so he gave the actual person's name for them to like check up on the story? They said that the guy called them. So I'm guessing, you know, since he lived in California, the news made it back to California and then he must have seen it or something and then been like, oh, fuck, that's. That's what I got from the newspaper. Okay. Then again, we've talked many times about the media and what they fucking put in the paper, so who knows if that's true or not. But that's that's what the paper said. Now, police know that American West Airlines flies out of California, so they contact the airline. Turns out that American West had a flight from California to St. Louis the day of the murders. Flight 1408, which matches the note in Nick's pocket. Oh! He let his brother pick him up from the airport? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Emery had flown in under the name Jim Clayton. Okay. Because back then you could fly under a different <laughs> fucking name if you want to. Yeah, 1991. Jeez. <clears throat> you could bring your nail clippers on the flight mm-hmm. if you wanted to. And your box cutter and your whatever else. Oh, whatever else. Your fucking water bottle. Yeah. I mean, whatever That's you want. That's been opened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he arrived in St. Louis at 6 o'clock. A.M.? PM. Okay. An arrest warrant was issued for Emery Fudo Jr. and detectives flew to California to speak with him. I know that you're going to be surprised by this because we've never talked about any of this ever happening, but Emery's story changed multiple times. What? No way. Uh, It's a bit difficult to get a complete timeline of all the changes because just one random paper says this, another one says that. There's a lot. So Emery told police that he'd flown to St. Louis to help Nick deal with harassing creditors, which seems like a long, expensive flight for something you can do over the phone. True that. And why'd you say you were camping then? Right. Oh, I forgot. I was camping the day before that. I was camping, and then I was going to deal with creditors. And then I we flew there. camp That's and right. deal with creditors mm-hmm. on our cell phones that didn't exist yet. Wow. <laughs> it's like, that's like the definition of this could have been an email. Like, we didn't need to be a meeting. Right. <laughs> uh, so, Nick had told his girlfriend that Emery was coming for a $200,000 drug deal. Which also became Emery's story at some point. Like, it seemed like Nick told his girlfriend that Emery was going to do this deal. And Emery's story became that Nick was going to do the deal. Okay. I think. I'm so, sure. it's assumed that that's why Emery told Nick he was coming into town? Was over a drug deal? No. 
But okay. we'll get there. Okay. So that was just part of the story at some point. Okay. Um, the, I did read, I think in one of the newspapers, there was never any indication that anyone in the family had anything to do with drugs, selling drugs, buying, you know, any of that. So obviously that story doesn't really hold much water. But Emery had also sent a 38 caliber handgun and ammunition in the mail to Nick prior to the murders, which Nick had kept for him. And he'd also asked Nick to purchase the sledgehammer that was used to bludgeon Yuna. What? Yeah. So okay. he had Nick go get the sledgehammer. Oh, okay. No. And he mailed him I the handgun. I feel like I would be like, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't, what is this? Right. And when the story is that he mailed this handgun to Nick because he's going to do this drug deal. So he's going to mail it to Nick. Okay. And then Nick's going to hold it for him. For the drug deal. Right. Okay. Uh, Nick is also dead and can't verify any of this, but. You know, we have what he told his girlfriend. Okay. Um, now, Emery claims they went to New St. Marcus Cemetery to do the drug deal. So, I guess he was supposed to be there supporting Nick. I'm, I'm assuming the thought process is you're going to tell the police, you know, you're coming in town for the creditors. And then now you're telling him, oh, well, Nick was going to do the drug deal and I was going to back him up. You know what I mean? Right. I'm assuming that's where the. I can line see of though went. if you use that, how then a police might believe you. Like, yeah. oh, I made these stories up because we were actually yeah. going to do a drug deal, and you'd be like, well, okay, that makes up. sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Emery claims they went to the cemetery to do the drug deal, and while Nick was walking ahead of him, he heard gunshots. Emery said he got scared, went back to Nick's car, and took off. He went back to the airport and flew back to California, seemingly without checking on his brother. He doesn't mention his brother in that, at least in what's in the papers, he just says he just left him back to California. Okay, if that's the case, it's not. But if it was, you would be a terrible brother anyway. You literally heard gunshots and you just ran away and then took the car. Right. Deuces. And left him in the cemetery cemetery for death. Just left him. And then got on an airplane. Not even just like drove back to the house and you're like, hopefully I'll see you soon. You know, I'm waiting for you. Right. Now, a more recent article suggests that they heard the shots and they left together. Okay. That's not what it sounded like in the early papers. So again, I don't know if that's And they couldn't have really left together because then they found him in the cemetery. So you left and then you brought him back to the cemetery? No. I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure. So I don't know which one's a typo. Mm -hmm. If they're, I don't know. Doesn't matter. None of it's true. Right. Um, None of it's true. It was at this point that Detective Chris Pappas, whose name I immediately recognized because my mom knew him, and I had to call Squeak to verify because she used to tell a story about this cop friend of hers that used to pull her over as a fucking joke. Would pull her over and then she'd be like flip it out and he'd get out of the car and walk up to her window and she'd be like, you son of a bitch. Like, you know, just right. fuck with her. Uh, I don't I don't know if it was him or not. Squeak had never heard that story, so I don't know if it was him or a different cop, but... He used to go into the restaurant that my whole, my entire family other than me worked at at yeah. one point or another. So that's how they knew him. And apparently he was like, my brother was like, oh, he was like a big shot detective, you know, whatever. Um, and then I mentioned earlier when I searched for his name after this, he came up in the article about Joe Vergoon, who we talked about in the St. Louis Jane Doe case when they were talking about him retiring and stuff. So right. I was like, oh, look, there's a connection, mm-hmm. which makes sense because we're in fucking St. Louis. Right. But whatever. Still, it was, co- it was cool. Still. I know the names. It was neat. So. Uh, anyway, I verified that and then, and then I got back into the story. So Chris Pappas asked Emery, Emery, if it's true that you haven't been in that house in years, then we will not find your fingerprints there, will we? And then Emery's story changed again. Ah. He said, and would that even be true? 
are you just trying to trip him up? I because, think he was just trying to. Right, because I got to touch the picture frame and then nobody right. touched it again, you know. Right. Your fingerprints, fingerprints should be all, all over the, the walls. and. I guess maybe if your mom's a really good cleaner. <laughs> I don't know. I still think my fingerprints are definitely in this fucking house. Yeah. And you're a good cleaner. Um, my house, your fingerprints are all over because I'm not. <laughs> I am when I have time to clean and I don't have children. But, yeah, that's... But they're still alive, sailed, so... so. Uh, um, so the story changes again. He said he'd gone to his parents' house before he went to the airport and found his parents' bodies. Then he went to the airport to home. Eat, sir. <laughs> sir. What are you talking about? These are... Your lies are like... Just as bad. Not really, because we're talking about actual murder here. Right, but you're. But what the fuck? You're real bad at this. Like real I heard bad gunshots, and my my brother might be getting shot at, so I just left. Right. And I took the car, so he's fucked. Right. And then I flew home. Oh, I saw my parents' dead bodies, and and then I flew home. Right. I'm sorry. What? He's 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 not good at this. Um, he's not. So, uh, detective asked him why he didn't call the police upon this gruesome discovery. You know, like, normal human. Uh, I guess he couldn't think of a great story to tell, so he told them, okay, I'm ready to tell the truth now. Oh, my gosh. Emery said that Nick had committed the murders. And when he told Emery Jr. in the cemetery, there was a struggle over the gun, and Emery shot Nick in self-defense. Four times. Five times. Four times, yeah. Mm. Uh, Sounds like it. The next story was that Nick had picked him up from the airport. They had gone together to their parents' home. Nick murdered their parents. Joe showed up and freaked out, and Nick shot Joe. The two moved the car to the spot police found it before agreeing on a suicide pact and heading to the cemetery. Nick said he was ready. Emery shot him four times. He was supposed to kill himself after, but he couldn't do it, so he left. Now, again, Detective Pappas had the question that really puts an end to the story. If you were planning a suicide pact, then why did you buy a round-trip ticket? Oh! So. For the same day. Right. We're just coming in and going right back out after a few hours. Right. And is that what happened then? Because we got in at 6 p.m. So he just did this real quick thing and then they were gone. And then he was back on a... And then he was on his way back home. Oh, my gosh. So detectives, who obviously didn't believe this story any more than we believe it, asked, what would make Nick do something so awful? That's when Emery Jr. dropped a bombshell. Emery Sr. had abused the entire family. Emery Jr. alleged that physical, verbal, and sexual abuse had taken place in the Fudo home. Uh, at first, police didn't really know what to think because, I mean, this man's told them a bunch of stories. Most of them bullshit. So how are they to know if this is fact right. or Now, I, I do want to share some of Emery Jr.'s descriptions of the abuse because I think it's important. So we're going to talk about that for a couple minutes. Uh, here's your trigger warning. Um, the newspapers did detail the abu- abuse to an extent. Uh, and the American Monster show, I thought I have the name of it somewhere, but apparently it's after this. I moved stuff around. So the show shied away from it. And I don't, I don't know why, but they did. And the prosecution did their damnedest to keep it out of the trial as much as possible. But it's relevant, especially when we're going to start talking about the final confession and what Emery says really happened in that house that day uh, and in the other places that day. So um, that's your trigger warning. We're getting ready to start. 
And I thought of something else to say, and I'm not going to say it now because I'll remember it later. So Emery Jr. said his father had once beaten him for giving his dad a birthday card that made him feel old. Oh, my gosh. He said, quote, we'd get whipped one at a time. Once we hit the floor, he'd kick away. If one of us made a mistake, we'd all get punished. His father would use baseball bats, sticks, belts, and even plastic race car tracks to beat the children. Angry that Emery Jr. would bite his nails, Emery Sr. hit his hands with a fucking two-by-four. Oh, my God. (gasps) Oh. The family was scared of holidays because if Emery Sr. didn't like his presents, he would beat them, once even throwing his gifts onto the lawn in anger. Wow. According to Emery Jr., his father would take the boys into the basement to watch porn and sexually abuse them as well. Their mother would be left to clean them up after the abuse. According to Emery Sr., quote, she knew. Emery told KMOV, quote, I would have to pull my dad off of them, meaning his brothers, and then he would have his way with me. One of his tactics was to catch you from behind, and then it was on. He said he began sleeping with a knife at eight years old and described a night when Emery Sr. came into his room. He reached for the knife, only to find it was gone. It's not there, his father told him before abusing him once again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Emery said that when the sexual abuse was happening, he would imagine that he was somewhere else, which is fairly standard for that kind of a situation. He said, quote, my own father put me in the hospital four times. Stitches, head trauma, broken kneecap, concussions, internal bleeding, fractured ribs. And after the beatings and sexual abuse, he would tell you that he loved you. Fuck. When he was 15, Emery Jr. skipped school one day and was caught by his father. The two started fighting, and he ended up on the ground with his father kicking and stomping on him. He got up and punched Emery Sr. in the face, knocking him to the ground. His father stood, went into the house, and came back out with a shotgun he fired at Emery. That was the last time he abused Emery Jr. He said his father would... Uh, then this was separate, because he talked about him beating his mom, and I, this is just something that he said. He said his father would call his mother a, quote, dumb fat Hoosier and make her eat dinner alone in the basement. <sighs> she would even be beaten if there were lumps in the gravy. Oh, my gosh. With the conflict... Right. Let's try that word again. Okay. With the conflicting statements Emery gave over time, it's very easy to question the validity of these accusations. There are a variety of stories from multiple sources that back up these claims, but most sources only have like one or two things. So I'm going to share them all at once because I feel like hearing it all together feels very different from hearing one story that you can write off. And that's like in the newspapers, you read one and then you go to read another one and that one wouldn't have anything. And then the next one would. And by the time you get to that third one, you've forgotten that the first one said anything. Right. You're like, Oh, that's horrible. And then you go and then two later you hear another thing. It, It was just very easy. I feel like to write it off. And then when you hear it all together, you're like, Holy fuck. I mean, just like what we just with Emery. Right. So, um, I want to state firmly and without hesitation that I believe these claims of abuse. Enough people have corroborated what happened in the Fudo home to show that Emery Fudo Sr. was a fucking monster. There is no question about that in my mind. Um, We'll get further into what I believe happened that day at the end, but I wanted to make sure this was abundantly clear. I believe Emery Jr. I believe Betty, who we'll talk about momentarily. And I believe the other stories that I'm about to share. Some of these came from articles on the case, some from the episode of American Monster, and I was given the honor of speaking with some sources who wish to remain nameless, and they will do so. 
Um, I will say I was given other examples than what I'm able to share just because the nature of the stories might inadvertently reveal sources that wish to remain anonymous. Um, Suffice it to say this man was an abuser. If you have abusers in your life, you know what they do. They're charming and they're manipulative and they convince or bribe or blackmail people into believing or saying that they're good people. Uh, It sounds like Emery Sr. was no exception. I found one example in which Betty's mother testified that Emery Sr., quote, adored his children and bought his wife beautiful jewelry. She did, however, substantiate the physical abuse claims and said she was the only one to stand up to Emery about abusing his wife. So she knew he was hitting his wife and still said those things about him. Right. Which I'm not saying anything against her, but that's the nature of abuse. Absolutely. Oh, he's here. They could never do that, but they do. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here comes your uh, trigger warning for the other things I was told. Again, I don't know, a couple minutes maybe. I'm not sure. Sorry. Uh, So I was told that Emery Sr. sold porn at work. He would carry it around in a brown paper bag and sell it to people. Gross. In like in the 90s. Um, Such a hot commodity still back then. So weird though. What the hell? Who? How did you just get brave enough like, what's up, Tom? You want to buy some porn? Right. but and the source didn't have any further detail about it. My own personal like thought wondering was what kind of porn would a person be carrying around and selling in 1991? Like, was that a thing? I mean, I was, we were both too young at that point to have any idea about any of that kind of stuff, but like, was it homemade? Right. Who was in it? Oh my gosh. Um, now again, I was young. Maybe this is normal at the time. Like you said, porn wasn't accessible like it is now. Right. Just, Seems super strange and off to me. De- definitely. That's weird. Yeah. I've, I've worked with some fucking people and I've never been offered to buy porn at work. I did buy porn from a friend's mom once. That's besides the point. <laughs> uh, it was not homemade. It's another story. <laughs> it's only adults, not homemade. Um, I was supporting a business. Uh, I was told that Emery Sr. was a womanizer, that he hit on women at work all the time, that he cheated on his wife, that oh. women at work were creeped out by him and the things he would say to them. Uh, a Hungarian immigrant that came to the U.S. at the same time as Emory Sr. told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, we all knew each other, those of us who came to St. Louis, so yes, I knew the father. People were scared of him. One night, a group of men were playing cards, and something made Emory angry, and he stuck a pistol in another man's ear. Oh, my God. He was not kidding. One of Yuna's co-workers said Yuna came to work all the time with bruises. She used all the excuses you could think of, falling down the stairs, running into a door... But everyone suspected what was really going on. Um, an unnamed female cousin who testified at Emery's trial, which I assume is Betty, but it, it didn't say, and I didn't have the transcripts, um, told the police, uh, excuse me, told the post-dispatch about a family gathering where one of the boys dropped his ice cream bowl and Emery Sr. proceeded to take the boys one at a time into a bedroom and she could hear him hitting the boys and them crying out. When Emery was finished with each of the boys... One boy dropped his ice cream. Oh. All three boys got punished, which Emery said that. When he got finished, he came back, looked at Yuna, and said, you're next. Excuse me? And this is in front of people. If he would do that in front of people, what did he do when no one was there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, An acquaintance that it sounds like it was a neighbor. Uh, told the Post-Dispatch that she had often heard Emery Sr. scream at his children and had once seen him chase them down the street with a hockey stick. 
An unidentified male family member told the Post-Dispatch, quote, early in the marriage, it was not unusual for Emery to reach across the dinner table and backhand his wife if she used the wrong word or did something else that seemed to me to be trivial. Wow. In front of people. I... A family member said that Yuna would go to family gatherings with black eyes and bruises on her face. A former classmate and friend of Emery Jr. named Daniel Galati said that in elementary school, Emery confided in him that his father had thrown him over a bush and broken his arm. Family friend Myrna Dudley confirmed this story, further stating that abuse of the boys was, quote, common knowledge in the neighborhood. Wow. And she went on to say, you know, that uh, I think she, you know, she was saying she hadn't stepped in and people didn't step in because back then that was. A I was just going to say, and at that time, because he's a child, even see them farther back. That's that's the norm. Yeah, that's just what it was. Um, and then, you know, someone I think they asked her on the stand because I think she testified. They asked her on the stand, like if she was proud that she didn't help. And of course, she cried because that's fucking horrible right. to say to somebody. Yes, I'm know. proud. You fucking asshole. Yeah, right. How's uh, that pertinent? Right. Another time, Galati noticed that Emery Jr. had, quote, a black eye and was bruised up pretty bad. Emery told his friend that his father had beaten him up. Galati said he'd seen Emery Sr. put Emery Jr. in headlocks. Quote, it wasn't something he'd do for a few seconds and stop. He'd keep persisting. There were times they would box with each other. Whenever they did, his father would get real aggressive. A woman named Donna that had dated Joe for a year and a half testified that after she had broken up with Joe, in part because of his own temper, a trait that all three Fudo boys apparently shared, he had told her that his father had abused the family. Joe was worried that he had treated Donna the same way his father treated his mother. She also testified that, quote, he hated his mother because she had never gotten the boys out of the home. Oh, my goodness. That's the thing. Um, more than one person testified that Nick got extraverbal abuse, often being taunted for any perceived or real failures in school or jobs. His father called him stupid. That shit pisses me off so bad you don't even know. I had a friend that went through that, and I... And not that any of the rest of this doesn't piss me off. It's just one of those things that really fucking right. me. Uh, and it suggested that he'd been adopted. Which is fucking horrible to say to your kid. Not that being adopted is horrible, but to... Right. You're using it derogatory. Right. Purposely trying to hurt your kid by saying right. something like that. Trying to make him feel different or other. Right. Um, according to one article, Nick had told others that he believed he'd been adopted. And the most recent article in the case says that the family has stated that Nick was fathered by an uncle and not by Emory Sr. And oh I, I want to say that gosh. other than, you know, the statements that Yuna knew these things and kept them secret, there's not a single statement that makes me think that Yuna was part of the abuse, was someone who cheated on her husband, um, any of those things. Right. So I just... It makes me wonder what happened that would have caused that to be the case. Right. I mean, this would be his brother that she would have slept with. Uh, something's fishy there. Right. Um, that's me speculating. That that was not in the paper. It was just this, you know, they said that Nick was fathered by an uncle and not by Emory Sr. Um now, one of the most damning statements, in my opinion, was made by Emery's cousin, Betty. She, too, was sexually abused by Emery Sr. Before I go further, I want to say what an incredibly brave and strong woman Betty is. Uh, I read multiple articles that mention her, and she was in the only show about the murders, which is, now here's where I say it, American Monster, and the episode is called It Was All of Them. It's available on Discovery Plus if you want to watch it. There are old home movies in it, and, of course, interviews, um... For Betty to come out and speak about this abuse was so inspiring. 
She testified in Emory's trial and she was on the stand for three hours while pregnant to make sure they knew what a fucking monster. Oh my gosh. Can you Emory's... imagine being able to answer questions for three hours? While pregnant. Wow. Um, and she wanted to make sure they knew what a monster Emory Sr. had been. Um, she was only given a brief chance to speak about the abuse on the show. I mean, literally, I think she gets to say four or five sentences okay. about the abuse is all that there is. Um, and she mentioned on the show that she didn't know when it started, but she has memories of it as early as age five. Oh my God. Um, for someone else. Oh, for someone else who grew up close to the Fudo family to say that she too was sexually abused by Emery Fudo Sr. speaks volumes to Emery Jr.'s accusations. And you can see her speak about it in the episode, and I think that you'll feel exactly how I feel about her statements. I mean, she tears up. She's very visibly upset about it. She's what There would be no reason for her to make that up. Right. Sure, you could say that he's making it up. There could be a benefit for him making it up, but what's what's her benefit? Right. Now, Emery Fudo Jr. was arrested and extradited back to Missouri to stand trial, which wouldn't take place until 1993, so two years later. In the trial, the defense presented Emery's story, painting Nick as the killer of the Fudo family, with Emery only taking responsibility for Nick's death. I don't know that I would call it that, but they even brought up that Nick had survived a suicide attempt over an ex-girlfriend nine months prior to the murders. And I guess they were trying to show that he was mentally unstable, so he obviously oh, was the kind of person that would kill oh, his family. okay. Um, I don't really understand what that has to do with the situation. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense. And really, who knows if that's the cause of the suicide attempt? They said, like, he told a friend that or something, but... Right. I mean, if this is the kind of shit that was going on at home, if you're being told you're stupid and all these other things at home, I probably don't feel real great about your fucking self. Right, absolutely. Um, and he's, you know, the only one of the children left in the home. I mean, Joe's there, obviously, when he's not at school, but he's going to Truman, which is not, you know, next door to St. Louis. So if he's going to Truman, he's not driving there every day. He's probably living in the dorms or something. So Nick's the only one living at home. Oh, my God. Dealing with, you know, maybe not dealing with the physical abuse or the sexual abuse anymore, but definitely dealing with the verbal abuse. And then regardless, dealing with the ramifications. I was going to say all the trauma. Yeah. So we don't have details about all of that, but the kind of abuse that these men it seems like, I mean, I, I believe it. So the men had faced throughout their childhood is, I mean, it's incredibly damaging and traumatic. So we know what that does to a person. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I believe that that's the reason he tried to commit suicide. Um, the jury obviously didn't believe Emery's story. And, and believing those things, I don't believe that story either. We'll get to what I believe. Uh, after what was at the time the longest criminal trial in Missouri history. Whoa. I don't know well, I guess that is. makes sense. I don't know if it still is. The trial was, I think it said six weeks, I think is what um, is what I figured out. But uh, Emery was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder and was given four life sentences to be served consecutively, or one after another. Uh, Emery's conviction was later overturned because the judge in his first trial had unfairly restricted his access to his lawyer. And he was retried in 1997. Now, again, the defense painted the, painted the picture that Nick had been the attacker. Uh, this defense didn't work, primarily because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. And Emory Jr. was given the same sentences in his first trial. In 1999, 
Emory Jr. appealed this decision based on part of the prosecution's closing argument. I couldn't find the transcript, but he made some statements on like why Emory didn't testify in that second trial. I guess he suggested some things and the defense thought that was improper. But the appeals court turned down the appeal because of the overwhelming evidence in the case. Right. Hi. I don't think there's any question about who did it. Um, and you know what? I did not put this up further, but... I mean, I should say that later. If I don't say that now, I'm going to forget. One article said that police believe that Nick and Emery Jr. had lots of phone conversations in the days leading up to the murders, which is fits in with the story that I'm going to tell in just a second, you know, what this final confession is. But now police have continued to stick with the theory that Emery Fudo Jr. murdered his family for money. He had a $116,000 house where he just put in a $12,000 pool and he stood to gain 275 to 300 and I saw 325 and 350 in another place. Um, $1,000, 325 to 350 in the deaths of his family which would be over four, for over $500,000 in today's money. That's a lot of money, but according to the defense, Emory Jr. made $50,000 a year. Right. So $50,000 a year for a $116,000 house. I feel like that's, he's probably fine. Right. Uh, that's just me. I don't know, but uh, I don't think that's a terrible income, especially if he wasn't carrying a lot of debt, which I don't see mentioned anywhere. And we all want more money, sure, but that doesn't seem like a super motivating thing in this particular situation when you really look at Right, everything. especially for people. Right. Uh, family members had been told that Emery Jr. had recently been borrowing large sums of money from his parents, and Emery Sr. had cut them off before the murders. Um, I was told this was the parents' cover story for what really transpired. Now, that was the end of the story. Until August of 2021, when Emery spoke with Bob Cyphers of KMOV. He said, quote, I want you to put this down. Emery Fudo tells the truth after 30 years. Oh, my goodness. And you can hear bits and pieces of it. It's pretty heartbreaking to hear him. And maybe he's bullshitting and I just am a sucker. I don't know. Right. I don't think that's the case. But he went on to say, quote, I did this. Nobody else did nothing. I am responsible for everybody. I'm nearing 60. The truth needs to be told. He had recently read a story about what had happened, and he wanted to clear his brother's names. He said his brothers had done nothing except turn on him. Are you ready? Oh, my gosh. Here's, here's what, what allegedly happened. Now, Emery said that his parents had come to visit for his son's first birthday in early July. <laughs> I put 1941. Whoa. Back Taking in back. time. Uh, 1991, excuse me. While they were there, he walked into his son's nursery and found his parents alone with him. No detail was provided on what he found, except that it fit the pattern that he and his brothers endured when they were growing up. With his mother there, too? I, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Um, okay. I thought the same thing. That's strange. And I've seen people... Especially because you talked about how, like, she wasn't really involved in the rest of it, but just didn't do anything to stop it or help or protect them. So, and and that's, you know, I think when you hear that, and I did the same thing, I went to, okay, well, his mother's supposedly abusing him too. Like, no one, you never said that your mother was abusing you, you know, whatever. But it doesn't say that. It says he walked in and they were both in the room and it fit the pattern. Um... I think if his mother knew about her sons being abused, which I believe she did, it's likely she would also stand by while her grandchild was being abused. 
I think it's a safe bet that she was fucking terrified of this man she was married to. And she would have been too too scared to try and stop him or get help. Okay. That's that's what I'm thinking. That's at least, I think, the suggestion. You know, it, whether it's true or not, or you believe it or not. But um, I, don't, I don't think that the suggestion is that she was abusing the child as well. Um, there are details in this Camo V article about times when Emery Jr. stood up to his father as an adult. Times where he, like, grabbed him by the throat and picked him up kind of a thing. And his mother is yelling at him to stop, you know, whatever. Um, I would almost guarantee that she knew if she went and got Emery, he'd fucking kill his father right there in that nursery. Right. Um, and I would imagine she was frozen in fear. If she was participating, which again, I haven't seen anything that makes me believe that. I do not think that is the case. It, that does happen more often than you think. I mean, I read in places, oh, that doesn't happen. I mean, it does happen. It happens a lot. And, um, that, you know, those women either have low self-esteem and don't want to lose their man or they're afraid of him or, you know, in some cases they want to cooperate. Um, I don't know, but I don't think that she was participating. I think that she makes more sense now that you elaborate it. on it. You yeah. know, she just could have been in the room just. Yeah. Off just doing not, something, not, yeah. not paying, not looking. Yeah, exactly. Pretending like it wasn't. Yeah. Happening, even though she knew. Uh, when Emery walked in on whatever he saw, he threw his parents' belongings onto the front lawn, told them to get out and never to contact him again. Now, I feel like that, like, that would be so easy to substantiate. You could very easily call neighbors if this was a party, you know, if anybody else was at the party or something like that. But I haven't seen anything that says that they've done that or haven't, you know, nothing about it. So uh, Nick flew in that same night for the celebration. And by the time he arrived, his parents were on their way back to St. Louis. Uh, Emery Jr. confided in his wife and brother what he'd seen, and his wife couldn't bear listening to what had happened. She left the room, and the brothers decided they had to stop their father. And so his wife corroborates that part of the story. He told her This is that. what he says. This is what he says he I don't, told her. I don't her. have okay. anything of her saying, yes, this is what he said. Okay, 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 okay. I only have him saying what happened. Okay. Um... um I had something I thought of, and then it... Went out of my head as soon as I thought it. Um, so they decided they had to stop their father. Now this would be Emery Jr. and Nick. Okay. As Emery recounted the story to Bob Cyphers, he said, quote, I feel like I'm going to puke. My legs are shaking up and down. I couldn't protect my own son. Oh. My goodness. Yeah. So Nick and Emery Jr. called Joe, who's, I guess, still in St. Louis. And together, the brothers decided that Emery would kill their father and they would be there. It sounded like... You know, they're going to be there with him, but they're not doing it. The night of July 24th, Emery couldn't sleep knowing what was going to happen. He said, quote, thoughts that you can't imagine go through your head. You know, the thing you're going to do is the worst thing you could ever do. As he told this story to Bob Cyphers, he broke, stating, quote, I miss them. I miss them so bad sometimes. I don't know what more to say. To have this weight sitting on me all these years, I need to do this for me. I need to clear my chest and my heart. I know now that what I did was wrong. I hope and pray I will be, get, be forgiven. I'm sorry for all the pain I caused. I'm so sorry. I know I'm going to die in prison. Uh, man, that really just changes. It really does change. A lot. Yeah. It doesn't change. It, I mean, oh, man. The mother and the brothers. Why the brothers? Because you were in a a, a, a rage and you feel like they backed out of it. So you were just so fucking angry. You were just like, well, I'm fucking kill you then. Right. You're not going to help me. You planned it for me. three weeks. 
or roughly somewhere in that time frame. I mean, that's a long time to plan something. You didn't just snap. You planned this. And the plan, too, was just the father. Right. From what he's saying. So the plan plan was just the father is what he says. Now, when Emery got to St. Louis, Nick picked him up at the airport, as we mentioned, and they went to Steak and Shake on Lindbergh. I only included that because I thought it would be interesting for people. It was interesting. Uh, Nick told him that Joe was having second thoughts. So Joe was telling Nick this is all a lie. It never happened. and He did not want to be a part of it. The two drove to meet Joe by the old magic market on Watson Road. No idea where that is, but thought I'd share it for people who do know. And Joe was out. Uh, Emery said, quote, Joe was denying everything. I knew we might have some issues, but I didn't know how bad it was until I met Joe. Right away, his demeanor was bad. He didn't want to talk about the past. It brought him a lot of pain. Nick kept trying to intervene, and we just went back and forth. I said, Joe, what if it was your kid? Nick, what if it was yours? Who's next? Fudo said, um, he said, quote, I did all I could to protect them. And then years later, you have your brother tell you you're a liar and tell you this stuff never happened to him. That's when I lost my cool. That's why I snapped. I couldn't believe this. Joe was trying to forget everything. He didn't want to hear or talk about it anymore. I kept saying, how can you do this to me when I did everything for you? He kept saying, never happened. Never happened. I would say, what do you mean it never happened? The argument got so bad that Emery and Joe got into a fist fight, which he says Nick broke up. Joe left in his car and Emery grabbed the keys to Nick's car and followed him. I'm guessing Joe must have pulled over pretty close because Joe's car was found on Watson Road and that's where they were. So um, and so he must have pulled over. The two started arguing again. Joe didn't want any part of Emery's plan and he threatened that if anything happened to their parents, he would tell what he knew. Oh. Emery got mad and he murdered him. Just went, right there on the side of the road? Yeah. I mean, it seems like oh it. And I guess I mean, this is in the evening, but it's like summertime. Yeah. So it's not like it'd be dark outside or anything. I mean, I don't have an exact time of when he killed Joe. but um, So we went back to the Magic Market to get Nick, who was also now having second thoughts. He kept asking where Joe was, and Emery told him that Joe had left. It was just the two of us. Nick told him, if you do this, Joe is going to rat you out. I don't know how they ended up in the cemetery, but Emery had realized that Nick was a witness now. So he murdered Nick, and then he went to his parents' house. He waited there until his mother came home from work. Quote, there was no conversation. My mom didn't really have much time to react to anything. There was just an incident that happened quick. It caught her by surprise, he told Cyphers. And he still can't really say, I murdered them, right? You know, I did this, that, and the other. He just says it was an incident, you know, which I'm sure it's painful to talk about. Right. Um... He dragged his mother down the hall and waited for his father to get home. At 12.21 a.m., Emery Sr. came through the door, took the dog outside, came back in at 12.30, and found Emery Jr. waiting for him. According to Emery, his father's last words were, quote, I knew this day was coming. I just hoped it wouldn't. Emery killed his father. Then he fled in Nick's Mitsubishi. He went to a Denny's restaurant where he left Nick's car and then took a cab to Coco's restaurant near the airport where he ate before catching his flight. And the rest of the story, I've already told you. Emery said, quote, I just want to make one thing clear. This was never about money, like they claimed. This was about a lifetime of abuse and what they did to my son. He also says, sorry doesn't mean shit. Oh, sorry, that's a quote. Sorry doesn't mean shit. I don't, I don't think I am ever going to be forgiven. I can't even forgive myself. Yeah, 
Wow, 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 wow. And I feel like, you know, again, you know, I, I think you, there are consequences to what you did. Mm-hmm. And you have to accept those. And that's just, that is what it is. You're where you need to be. But also, I don't think I know a person in my life who hasn't said, if someone touched my kid, I'd kill them. Right. So it's, and that one, I'm like, okay, but the, 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 I'm not okay, but I am. Right. But the rest of them. But the rest of them, I think he snapped. I mean, I think, I think. Right. You should have gone in. And, and I think when people do that, and that's anger and that's whatever, because I don't mm-hmm. think we're, he's not thinking like, oh, I'm going to get arrested and go right. to prison right. now. I mean, you're not conscious. Some of them probably do. But I feel like that's when I would be like consciously thinking mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go kill my father as possible. I'm going to go to prison and I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure. But to kill everyone else. I mean, obviously you have to be in some mental right. horrible mental state and it and... makes sense if you're talking about you know all those things being true mm-hmm. you're standing there talking to your brother you have again all of those things are true you know assuming then you're standing there talking to your brother who you have taken abuse to protect telling you it never happened right. and you're a liar all while you're angry trying to protect your son. I mean, I could see how easily someone could snap. Right. That doesn't make it okay. Right. Not making excuses for him because, you know, a, a reason and an excuse are almost the same thing. It doesn't make it okay, but it still matters that that's Ugh. the reason. And then to have the time to think about what you did and then still kill your other brother and then think about what you did and then kill your mother and then mm-hmm. think about what you did and then kill your father. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And time frames like, um, they say that Nick was murdered around nine o'clock there. They think, I guess there were gunshots. I don't know, you know, how accurate that is or where else that comes from. They just talk about people hearing gunshots. So they're assuming nine o'clock also though. It's St. Louis. So is that the only time they heard gunshots? Cause really, right. Those could have been Lots going of off every shots. 15 minutes. Who knows? But right. um, I don't know. It's just a sad fucking sad case. Um, now, as for my personal connection, I was only eight years old when these murders took place, which I didn't realize. I thought I was a little bit older. I didn't didn't realize that the trial happened later. Um, my interest was piqued because my brother knew one of the Fudos. I've mentioned my siblings a bit. I'm the youngest of a whole lot of kids. You know this, Holly, uh, especially if you include my dad's kids, which would be my step-siblings. Uh, and the next sibling up from me that I grew up with anyway is 14 years older than me. I've mentioned him a lot, Squeak. We're pretty close. Uh, I have definitely bitched about him on here before. Uh, and I would do absolutely anything for that giant pain in my ass. And he would also do anything for this giant pain in his ass. So I knew that he was friends with Nick Fudo. But I always thought that they were like pretty close. Uh, more recently, I asked him about Nick when I decided I was going to cover the case. And he said Nick was like in his group of friends, but more in the outer circle of his friends. Yeah. So the inner circle are the guys that I knew and grew up with. And they're like my bonus brothers. Um, one of the inner circle, Paul, who I know very well and have very good stories about, uh, he worked with Nick at Grandpa Pigeons. So through okay. that, Nick would go to fight nights with the group. And that's kind of how my brother met him. Eventually, he ended up joining my brother's soccer team. And the two bonded over their love for the game. My brother said that to them, the two of them specifically, it didn't matter if they were on a good team or a bad team, if they won or if they lost. 
They just wanted to play soccer. Right. Which is That's good. awesome. Because apparently they were fucking terrible and all the wives told them they should quit because they were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, after Nick's murder, the team name was changed to Nick's Soccers. Oh. That was very sweet. Um, and I always, I always thought that my brother's kid was named after Nick, which they're non-binary now. I do not mean to dead name them, but this is an important part of the story for me. Um, but it turns out it was more of a joke. So my brother and his ex-wife had chosen the name before Nick died while my sister-in-law was pregnant. And they told Nick they were naming the baby after him, like jokingly. Squeak said it was framed like, oh, the baby's named after you, so you have to buy him a gift. Ha ha, you know. And I have literally spent the last 30 years thinking that his child was named after this man <laughs> who he was so close with. It turns out. It was his bestest friend in the whole wide world. Turns out that Just my kidding, introduction to true crime was some, some guy in his outer circle. Uh, um, amazing. But I did uh, call my brother to ask him for a statement because he's the only person that I know close enough that I could call and say, hey, you know, tell me about this person. So uh, about Nick, Squeak said, quote, he's a dude a lot. <laughs> he said, quote, he was a funny dude. He was a good dude. Real cool. He was always a happy-go-lucky dude, and you wouldn't have known anything negative about him. He was popular. He was a real cool dude. It's nice. This is as sweet as my brother gets. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my brother did not know the rest of the family. He said he'd probably met Joe before, but he obviously couldn't give me any statements on any of them. Um, now I did find an article from Nick and Joe's girlfriends at the time, who they'd been with for a very short period of time. I think it's like two and a half months for both relationships. Uh, and I'm not going to give their names because I saw in one article where they asked not to be named. So I just felt like we're just going to leave that out. Okay. Um, they said that Joe and Nick idolized their older brother and they put him on a pedestal. Both Nick and Joe played soccer in high school. After college, Joe planned to enroll in the Army's foreign language school to learn Russian. He was in a fraternity, and he had a lot of friends. Uh, Nick traveled to visit Joe at college often. Of course, I mentioned that he played soccer with my brother every Tuesday night, and he had plans to enroll in community college to study drafting. He loved hanging out with his many friends and going to clubs. His girlfriend said, quote, Nick was really fun. He had a great time and lived his life to the fullest every day. The time we had together was very happy for me. Joe's girlfriend said, quote, when he died, it shook my faith. It kind of robbed me of my innocence. I'll always wonder if he was the one for me. Oh, my gosh. I just can't imagine, especially at such a young age to have a relationship end in that way. Oh, my God. Fucking uh, Joe was 23 and Nick was 24 or 22 and 23, depending on birthdays. I'm not sure. Um, But that is the story of the Fudo family murders. That's intense. That's awful. It's a very, very sad one. I mean, I hope that it gave some family closure that he came out and gave uh, hopefully more um, honest yeah. confession and it's, you know it fits everything a little bit better mm-hmm. it makes sense of things where the other stories just didn't really make sense of them but I'm all about that like generally not always but generally these things follow the logic right so if you can't explain to me even if it's something crazy but if you can't explain to me something that makes sense for why something happened I'm just not there right <laughs> which is why we have differing viewpoints on some things Crazy, but yeah. So, um, are you ready to lighten the mood? Yeah. <laughs> please welcome please. to jokes with Holly. I don't know the rights to these jokes. What do a penis and a Rubik's cube have in common? 
Uh, it's not how hard they are to figure out, so I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, though. <laughs> the more you play with it, the harder it gets. <laughs> you were pretty close. I, I was close. You were pretty close. Except for, except for penises are easy. <laughs> cubes are difficult. <laughs> penises are easy. <laughs> oh boy! As always, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Mommy's Horror, and on Facebook, Mommy's Horror Podcast. You can join the Mommy's Discord for episode discussions. You know what? I think I need to share the fucking link to that because I'm really hoping that the reason none of you are in there is because you can't figure out how to get on there. Okay. So That's I need to share that. Definitely why. I'm going to start doing that. That's what I'm going to tell myself. So okay. you better fucking sign up for it. When I put it on there, you're going to make me have a fucking complex. Um, and you can you can uh, have episode discussions and meme sharing. Um, please come help me. You can support the podcast financially on the Mommy's Horror Patreon, where you'll get bonus episodes, early access to episodes, and more as we grow. You can uh, also, totally for free, guys, you can follow, rate, review, and share. Those for things free! For free! And those make such a huge difference. It takes two seconds! Um, if you're following us, you are part of the reason that we were in the top... Um, podcasts on i think it was the spotify mm-hmm. members spotify. Uh, was because of how many of you are following us and listening and um ratings push us out in front of people so when we get you know so many ratings they'll go oh look this is a noteworthy podcast and they'll yes. put us out so um please 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 please, please. and uh yeah that's it thank you for listening sweet dreams spookies